What is happening? You're listening to No More Normal. I'm Khalil Ekelona. The thermometer here at Nomono headquarters has been flirting with three-digit temperatures. Such heat makes you tired, sluggish, irritable. And if you're not thoughtful, you can make some rash decisions. After the president suddenly announced that he was sending federal forces to Albuquerque and other cities as a part of Operation Legend, analysts are saying moves like that are flirting with disaster. This week, we round up all the information we have and try to understand the situation and what it means for our civil liberties. Grab a cold drink, cross your fingers for evening rainfall. Nimono goes in. Once that story broke that there were these federal agents who were in Portland and were snatching protesters into unmarked vans, the numbers went from one or 200 people a night to 2,000 or 3,000 or more a night. So, you heard the news. After weeks of watching videos where federal officers in Portland pull people off the street, Albuquerque made global headlines again. Yes, again. President Trump says he's dispatching federal agents to Chicago and Albuquerque. These federal agents have not just been sent to Portland, but other Democratic-controlled cities such as Albuquerque. President Trump announces a plan to send about 200 agents to Chicago and other cities, including Albuquerque. Well, President Trump has announced Wednesday he's sending a surge of federal agents into Chicago, Albuquerque. Your Operation Legend, we will also soon send federal law enforcement into other cities. They're too proud or they're too political to do that. One of them is Albuquerque, New Mexico. Where right now by the New Mexico governor, Michelle Lujan Grisham. The mayor of Albuquerque, New Mexico, Tim Keller. Let's bring in New Mexico Democratic Senator Martin Heinrich. The issue about making sure that New Mexicans, that their civil rights are protected, uh, is forefront for everything that we do every day. But we're very concerned about this idea that we should just sell out our town for a potential bait and switch to efforts to go after protesters or immigrants. And it's because it's happened in other cities, especially Portland. Yeah, the city of Albuquerque, the mayor, the governor, none of them asked for this assistance, in part because there's simply no trust at a time when you see the kind of chaos that gets sown in cities like Portland. We're sending them help, but we're really waiting for them to call for the big help, for the big numbers, for the large numbers of people that we have ready, willing, and able. Sheriff Manny Gonzalez actually went to the White House asking for help. Manny Gonzalez says he didn't think twice when he got an invitation last week to meet with President Donald Trump. But if they want to have the discussion or they want to have me inform them about what the needs are on law enforcement, I'll talk to them about, him, about anything on their agenda. The Albuquerque Police Officers Union president says he welcomes the feds. John C. Anderson is the U.S. attorney, the chief federal prosecutor for the District of New Mexico. And unlike Mayor Keller, he welcomes the deployment of federal agents to Albuquerque. Statistics indicate that we have a very clear violent crime problem in Albuquerque and particularly related to gun violence. Let us bring in New Mexico's Secretary of State, Maggie Toulouse-Oliver. Albuquerque has been dealing with a crime problem for a number of years. And in fact, the ostensible reason for sending in the troops now pertains to an agreement that was reached uh, with the federal government well over a year ago. I mean, I think there's all the reason in the world to be skeptical. And even in our own town, we're still waiting on help that they offered and we agreed to from like six months ago. Albuquerque is missing, I think about $9.6 million from the Trump administration. We just haven't gotten any real help. We've got a lot of rhetoric. We got a, a big photo op at the White House. 
The last time the president tried to engage with the city of Albuquerque, $10 million was promised and never delivered. That's not how we solve these issues. If we are cooperatively working to address violent crime and gun violence, absolutely. If we're gonna to try to incentivize unrest, then that's something altogether different. We don't have the trust to know that what we're gonna get is help. I got a chance to interview Albuquerque Police Chief Mike Geyer about worries that federal agents would do the kind of things we've seen them doing in videos popping up on social media from Portland and elsewhere in the country, tear gassing peaceful protesters, pulling them to the ground, taking them into custody without cause. People here are worried that federal agents sent to Albuquerque will treat demonstrators the way they have in Portland. Public officials say that that treatment is unconstitutional. Is the Albuquerque Police Department prepared to intervene if federal police harm demonstrators? That's part of the maybe a misunderstanding that what this program is in terms of Albuquerque. It, it's not the same as Portland. The misconception, I think, is that those kind of agents that were sent to Portland are, are the uh, riot control type police in military type gear, helmets, different type of equipment, including long batons and tear gas and all that weaponry that goes with a, a riot control as opposed to, you know, our officers in uniform or escorting a protest down the street, blocking streets to help them go through and facilitate the protest or the parade. So the agents that are part of this Operation Legend and was previously the Operation Relentless Pursuit are really just investigators. And we have four agencies, the FBI, the DEA, ATF, and Homeland Security and U.S. Marshals, they're already housed here in Albuquerque. And we have partnerships and have had for as long as I can remember where people are from our APD is working on task force, which is like a force multiplier is we can expand our own resources in terms of manpower, but also investigative resources involving technology or databases or sharing of information that helps us to be able better to address like in this case, is specifically violent crime. The federal agents are here to assist with violent crime investigations only, not here to quell any type of protest that may arise. That's correct. It's not anything with protests whatsoever. They're going to be suit and ties or plainclothes working with our officers. You probably won't even see them out there unless they're with an APD officer as part of a task force operation. And again, you wouldn't even know who they are. They would just be with our officers on those cases, maybe interviewing witnesses or canvassing areas or actually trying to target and locate offenders that have committed violent crime. Is there a written agreement about what their work here will be? Well, I know that with the U.S. attorney under the relentless pursuit, there is a memorandum of understanding that was prepared. The other agreement would be when we accept money from grants, it's kind of like a contract. There's certain criteria that's in there. And so we would have to sign off on that or they would have to approve it. And that would kind of solidify that agreement like you're asking. At the moment, the U.S. Attorney's Office hasn't presented a written agreement for you all from the Attorney General? We have. We've been reviewing it. It's been through different layers of approval and review by City Legal, as well as the Mayor's Office. And they're just trying to make sure that we want to know exactly what we're getting. Also, to get guarantee from them is what are exactly are you bringing here for us? Because mm -hmm. we don't want a lot of hype or and then they get here and they take over and do something different. But talking to the local directors here, that seems to be the direction that they've been advising us as well. So it seems like that's consistent as far as I'm concerned. But yes, there are 
certain stipulations and agreements that still are in the works. Do you have a sense of what benchmark will be used to determine that the feds have finished their work or that their mission is absolutely complete? The most obvious would be the rate of crime, and violent crime specifically. Did we make a reduction? Mm-hmm. If you're looking at, say, reducing uh, the homicides with guns and reducing shooting with injuries, obviously some indicators of that would be how many people are actually arrested, but, you know, convictions, and then did did the those incidents go down? If we have a goal of reducing it by, in our case, our violent crime goal is a reduction of 15% from last year, that would be the measure that we're shooting for. And so right now we're falling short of that. We still got several months left, but if everybody's putting an effort toward that. The goal is it's not just the FBI did this, made these arrests, or APD made these, is collectively, has crime gone down in that area? And then also other benchmarks are, did the community feel safe? Do they see that? Do they feel that? Again, that's really what we're trying to do is make people be able to feel like they can go out at night, they can park their car without getting carjacked or robbed, or business owners are going to get guns stuck in their face for their cash register. Uh, again, this isn't a blanket approach where everybody's under scrutiny. It's targeted toward violent offenders, and they could come in any way, shape, or form. It's their background and their recent crimes and their activity or propensity for violence that we're going to be addressing. If someone is taken into custody by federal agents, where will that person be held? Will there be arrest reports? And also, how can their friends or family find them? If they're arrested here in Albuquerque, even if they get charged federally, the first arrest, they'll get just like any other arrestee would go to MDC, mm-hmm. uh, the Metropolitan Detention Center. They'll go through the PTU here and be processed. If there's an order from the U.S. attorney or you know any other kind of federal prosecutor, they would probably dismiss the local charges and then put a federal hold on them. Some of the facilities in New Mexico that are federal detainee centers where they would go while they're waiting their hearing here in federal court here. Because they're entitled to more than one phone call, but they're entitled to counsel, having a lawyer present. They're protected probably even more so at the federal level than in a case where you have a lot of defendants going through and they may get kind of lost in the shuffle of the public defender's office. They'll have more protection at the higher level. An investigative journalist in Seattle is reporting that many of these federal agents are private contractors. Now, I know that you mentioned that we're getting different type of agents that were sent to Portland and Seattle. But they've also reported that these private contractors may be inadequately screened and trained. Are you looking into exactly who is being deployed here? And if so, if we do have private contractors, do you feel confident about their screening and their training? I don't know of any private contractors at the investigative level. I know that there are federal agents that are more like security police that may be private contractors, but those mostly are for building protection, like federal sites or locations, buildings, offices, and whatnot. But as far as investigators, whether it's FBI, DEA, ATF, uh, U.S. Marshals, they're all part of the Department of Justice. So they'll be sworn agents, which means that they've not only gone through a basic training class, but to be at that level, they'll probably have been on the job many, many years in that capacity and probably have a whole history of background and experience in the areas that they're bringing here to Albuquerque. So I, I would almost guarantee that they're going to be, you know, just like sworn officers versus security police, we're getting the sworn officers that are investigators with that experience and training. Well, I want to thank you very much for joining me. He is Albuquerque Chief of Police, Chief Mike Geyer. Chief Geyer, thanks again. You're welcome, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Let's go to executive producer Marisa DeMarco, who's chasing a story about agents who might be here now that aren't a part of what's being called Operation Legend. 
Though we're going to hear several times in the show today that Trump is sending 35 agents here only to fight violent crime, late Friday, I heard from someone who works in a federal office that's responsible for oversight, who does not want to be identified, that there might be other agents from the Federal Protective Service here to defend U.S. assets, and that they would be here through Sunday. That agency, FPS, is reported to have been leading the crackdown on protesters in Portland. FPS on its website says agents are there to protect federal properties, statues, memorials, and monuments. What are federal assets in Albuquerque? There's the courthouse at 4th and Lomas, near where demonstrators Friday started their event, plus two more buildings downtown for starters. A spokesperson for U.S. Attorney John C. Anderson told me late Saturday that whatever's going on with the Federal Protective Service is not a part of Operation Legend, and he could not confirm whether those agents were here now. We're still chasing confirmation of FPS being here, or how many agents, or for how long, and we'll give you details if and when we can get them. You'll find those on KUNM.org or on KUNM's news broadcast. You'll also hear later on in this hour from an investigative journalist who says many FPS agents are private contractors. But first, KUNM News Director Hannah Colton and I recap the demonstrations we've been attending the last couple of weeks. Hannah! Marisa! <laughs> So, yeah, the thought was we could just talk about recent demonstrations and things that have happened since we learned that federal agents were being sent to Albuquerque. Yeah, July 21st, we got word that was a Trump announcement. The feds are coming with very little information beyond that. I mean, people thought right away because of what's been going on in Portland that it would be like this crackdown on protests. But we really didn't have any information when we first found out. We're starting to also hear about marked vehicles around town that are law enforcement vehicles. I think all the reporters started wondering what was going to happen in terms of protests that weekend. We did see on that Saturday, July 25th, there was a car rally that had been planned by Fight for Our Lives, the youth organization. Yeah, and you went to that one, right? Yeah, they went from APS and went up and down Central. That was about people not wanting APS to go back in person. That was about demands about safety protocols and also about defunding APS police. And that happened almost without incident, although one of the organizers was pulled over and the police said she was blocking traffic. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of their demands about APS, they said, have been met, but they're planning on making it like a weekly or multiple times a month thing protesting APS police. It's hard to get concrete info from the district right now. So I think they just decided to shift their focus. Yeah, yeah. There was a more like celebratory event at Roosevelt Park called To Bloom in the Desert, celebrating queer, trans, black, indigenous people of color. There was a big rainbow that popped up over that one. And that was without <laughs> that was without incident. And then on Sunday night, the unnamed ABQ coalition held a no feds in New Mexico demonstration at Bel Air Park, and they decided to do it as a sit-in instead of as a march. And I know there was a lot of back and forth among organizers as they were considering whether the feds were already here, what kind of actions were, you know, safe for folks to take, what would feed into the narrative of Albuquerque being a violent place place, right? Mm -hmm. And then fast forward to last Wednesday, so Wednesday, July 29th, 
Organizer Amelia Brown put together a Black Lives Matter protest at UNM in front of the bookstore. It was pretty small. I would say maybe 10 people turned out, but they had their signs and they chanted, even though it was pretty hot. And that one also, no incident. Yeah, and then the next day, we learned a little bit more about the feds coming in. But that morning, there was another rally against the presence of the federal agents, and you went to that one. Yeah, so it was organized by a lot of different groups, and it was at Kit Carson Park. They gave speeches and talked about concerns about Operation Legend. We're going to meet them with all the resistance that we need to, and we're going to educate our community, our neighbors, our friends, educate our local government, educate our county government, especially Manny Gonzalez. They talked about police violence, but they folded in a lot of other social and racial justice issues into that conversation too. One organizer noted that the police had set up this surveillance unit. So this is the, it's like a little cart that has several video cameras on it. Mm. And they'd set it up kind of right between two playgrounds that are at Kit Carson Park. It was really stark in contrast to the beautiful day and the beautiful park, right? Mm-hmm. Um, demonstrators did a car rally through that neighborhood that's near Kit Carson Park. And again, no incident, no police presence that I could see aside from the surveillance unit. And the plane, APD has a police plane now, and it was taking laps over the city and over the park during this car rally. Yeah, and then that brings us to this Friday. The Red Nation had organized a protest that was about no feds, no fascism, no ICE, calling for land back for indigenous people. Started near downtown, and it was led by three indigenous femmes. They kind of stayed on the back of a truck. They did a lot of educating, I think, in addition to leading chants. They were talking about the history of violence against Native American people in this state. They brought up a lot of names of Native folks who've been killed by either police or vigilante violence. And they were very much in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement as well. So that was a really like, it's really intersectional focus, I think, and very like centered on indigenous resistance. And it poured, <laughs> it poured, and people stayed out it did. through this crazy windy mm-hmm. thunderstorm. And then the huge rainbows came out for a while. Yeah. Yeah, so the strangest thing, so we saw in the morning the militia group, the New Mexico Civil Guard, was threatening to protest at two UNM professors' house, and they also said that they were going to march on UNM. So you went downtown, I went up to where the Civil Guard march was maybe going to start near the university. I was waiting for them up there. It was sunny when I got there. I was like, ooh, it's going to be a super hot night following the demonstrations, right? Mm -hmm. And then right about the time where the Civil Guard had said that they were going to do their march through UNM campus and then down to the professor's homes, these super dark clouds rolled up on Albuquerque all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. and the rain was just a torrential downpour. It was sheets of rain. So I'm like driving around the university, you know, looking for this march, and I got out on foot and just got soaked, right? And then after I decided they were probably not going to come that way, I went downtown, and it 
like stopped raining and I caught up with the demonstration you were at already and then the rainbows were out and this was hundreds of people. Mm -hmm. How many people do you think, Hannah? So hard to estimate, but I mean, at least 400, probably more. Yeah. When the crowds get that big, it can get kind of hard to count, right? Yeah. They kind of ended back up at Civic Plaza and it seemed like they were really focused in their approach and also had, you know, safety plans and strategies for people leaving. Yeah. And they were really intentional about being like, all right, we've got all these people on bikes. Like people on bikes have been blocking intersections really strategically all night and they were like, if you need an escort, you know, find someone on a bike or, you know, get a buddy. Yeah. And what was weird, though, too, is so we heard from the U.S. attorney that the 35 agents being deployed to Albuquerque are not going to be engaged in protest stuff. But that aspect of it is still really unclear to me. We really don't have a great sense of the quality of information that we're getting about this stuff. So it becomes really challenging to perceive the level of threat or antagonism and to prepare for it. Right. President Trump's rhetoric continues to be sort of unpredictable and in contrast with what we're hearing, you know, officially from the U.S. attorney. So Trump is saying things about sanctuary cities and making, you know, racist anti-immigrant statements during the same timeline that Operation Legend is being launched, which is not supposed to have anything to do with immigrants or these other types of enforcement. But it's just, yeah, the mixed messages are are really scary to a lot of people for good reason. Yes, we can say that there have been other federal operations in Albuquerque, law enforcement or ICE or crackdowns by the ATF. I mean, there's history here, definitely, of course. You know, it is really a problem when we can't really trust information about why or when or what level of transparency there will be around it, Mm -hmm. even for other public officials. Yeah, absolutely. This episode will come out on Sunday, August 2nd. And that night, there is supposed to be a unification protest and rally for Black Lives Matter. Right. And that one looks to be, you know, it could be a pretty big one because we've heard that it's, you know, multiple groups organizing. So we'll be out there. Maybe the only point of levity last week was a video circulating on social media called Tour of Albuquerque, Riot Zone During Operation Legend. It starts with a shot of a bright and lovely downtown. Hell on earth right now in Albuquerque downtown. Dear God. Brian Lisi made that video and I checked in with him to find out all about it. First, tell me of the story of how you came up with the idea to make the video. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think it was it was definitely largely inspired by texting with my friend one night about Portland, and then while doing that, getting the news alerts that Albuquerque was named as one of the cities to be getting some more of the federal operatives. I'm not sure how to refer to them. And yeah, I mean, like, and that was just, it was just like a hard thing to see. And then I, you know, like the next morning, just realizing like, oh, I I live downtown. I know what this looks like. The protests here have been amazing and, you know, super well organized. I just kind of felt like I wanted to make a, like a dumb video about something so absurd. Yeah, I'll tell you what these goons did. These rioting goons, they they flipped over all these cars last night. 
and then they came back this morning and they flipped them back over. In terms of like comedy and comedy and pointing out the absurd and comedy and pointing out what Frank's frankly some may call the insane. What is the role and importance? Because you know, I remember in 2016 when the president was elected, a lot of comedians were saying, okay, this is our time. We are going to have <laughs> a lot of material, and he's done that. He's made quite a few careers in just his actions. What about the importance of comedy when holding comedy and the comedic lens up as a mirror of a society and its actions? Talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I think a lot of comedians were very open about saying we would much rather this not happen, but... I think comedy is just more there for like a relief. I don't know if in terms of like actual social change, organizers behind like Black Lives Matter and like they're the ones who are actually pushing for things. I mean, like if you just look at the good that's come out of the awful tragedy that was George Floyd's death, all that change has come because people have been pushing for it. It hasn't been because someone went and made like a Netflix special. It's been people on the street. Yeah. Yeah, the folks on the street getting out there and downtown has been boarded up and people are arguing that the boarding up of these windows gives the impression that it was a war zone down there. Kind of what your video highlights and there's anarchy at every moment. And But your video shows that that was not the case. Why do you feel it's so important to get the right imaging out for public consumption? Your video and what some other activists are really trying to say is yes. The windows are boarded up downtown. That is a, a large overstep in certain terms as far as giving the impression. And then the project to paint the art and to paint those boards up is nice and it looks nice, but it kind of covers up that overreach. So talk to me about how important it is to get the right imaging and the right message out there. For starters, the perspective of some people in the community that property is more important than people doesn't quite sit right with me. You know, and I understand that what happened downtown, like with the windows and, you know, especially like the chemo, like the chemo theater is very iconic. And I can see where it's heartbreaking to people to see like that's happened to your city. What's happening like on a deeper level in our city, in our community, in our society is much worse than this. I think that's a good start. But if you don't live in downtown area and like you maybe don't come down to it that much especially now because with so many businesses closed you might get this impression that it has become as you said a war zone a lot of businesses recently have gone out of business and it's it's my hope that uh the troops will just kind of set up here and maybe you know they'll just be like oh hey ooh, uh, i, I want to run a vintage clothing store i want to run an art gallery and go into a shop and be like oh hey troop I support you, I support your business. And they'll be like, hey, welcome to my shop. Do you wanna do some push-ups with me? And you'd be like, yeah, um, let's hang out on the weekend. Showing it that people came together with the spirit of creativity, of let's put up these amazing murals. That's such a great example of what the city's really about. And also like what the activists are about is using this moment of unfortunate destruction to come together even more and to hopefully grow stronger. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, downtown was already hurting to begin with before all of this. Yeah, I used to work downtown at one of the popular bars there and tourists would come in and they would say, you know, we're looking for downtown. And I'd tell them, like, you're here. And they're, 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 they're kind of shocked. Like, this is downtown. I was like, well, this is Albuquerque right now. It's coming along. And it really looked like it was happening. I mean, COVID hit, and here we are. And I, I'm wondering myself, I'm, I'm pondering what the future of downtown is going to be, what it's going to look like. Have you asked yourself that? I don't know. I mean, like, you know, it's, and as a lot of people have said, like, Albuquerque was really 
starting to to pick up steam and as a city and as a as a scene in many ways COVID and everything is just i'm absolutely worried that it's knocked that back uh i mean again like with like the way that like just people came together to like paint you know throw up some art downtown i i think the the city has this amazing spirit of resilience to it so hopefully we'll we'll get to see that yes i would like to see it as well and do you plan to make any more videos uh <laughs> I mean, this one wasn't really very well planned out to begin with, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. We'll see. All right. We'll be keeping an eye on it. That's Brian Lisi, comedian, writer, producer, and creator of the YouTube video, The Tour of Albuquerque Riot Zone during Operation Legend. Thanks a lot for being with me, my friend. Of course, Kula. Thank you so much for having me. Hell on earth right now in Albuquerque downtown. Dear guy. In the next half hour, we hear from journalists in the Pacific Northwest about what's been happening on the streets of Portland and Seattle. Lots of good information for you. Stick around. No More Normal is brought to you by your New Mexico government, a collaboration between KUNM, New Mexico PBS, and the Santa Fe Reporter. Funding for our coverage comes from the New Mexico Local News Fund, the Kellogg Foundation, and KUNM listeners like you. Support for public media provided by the Thornburg Foundation. John C. Anderson is the U.S. Attorney for the State of New Mexico under United States Attorney General William Barr. He spoke with KUNM's Megan Kamrick for Let's Talk New Mexico Live on Thursday, July 30th. Can you give us the basics? Which agencies are these agents coming from and what exactly are they planning to do? coming from uh, many of the federal law enforcement agencies that already have a permanent presence in Albuquerque. That includes the FBI, the DEA, ATF, and uh, U.S. Marshal Service. What is the scope of what they're going to be doing exactly? Uh, they're going to be targeting gun violence in our communities. I think everyone who lives in Albuquerque recognizes that our rates of violent crime are simply too high, and especially gun violence. We had a record number of, of murders in 2019. I think there needs to be a concerted effort to reduce that gun violence, and that's what Operation Legend is all about. I know we had a very high homicide rate in 2019. Right now, according to the stats I got from APD, we're currently at 37 homicides for 2020. We were at 44 this time last year, so it's not quite as high. Sorry, I haven't, I haven't seen those statistics, so I can't comment on them right now. Okay. Are any of the uh, agents or any of the folks coming here as part of Operation Legend, are they, any of them private contractors? No. Okay. Do you have a sense of how long they will be here? We are at this point thinking about 60 days is going to be our initial effort here. A lot of it is going to depend on where we are with the casework that's going on and, frankly, the headway that we feel we're making against this issue. The city of Albuquerque's deputy attorney wrote to you seeking a commitment that any federal agents in this operation conspicuously identify themselves, wear uniforms for the agencies where they work, and use on-body recording devices. Can we expect those accountability measures? Certainly, when they're acting in overt capacity, they are going to be identified as federal law enforcement. When they're operating in an undercover capacity, they will not be marked that way. What 
ultimately will determine if Operation Legend has been successful. Let me identify two metrics, both of which I think contribute to the narrative here. One is simply getting our curve to move downward when it comes to gun violence, uh, homicides, and similar crimes. So there is that very concrete metric that we can look at. But the other one, frankly, is how are people who live in Albuquerque feeling about the safety of their community? Do people feel safer? I mean, that's kind of hard to gauge, right? So, I mean, that could last for a long time because there are people who do feel safer, those who don't. (laughs) What the public sentiment is about uh, safety in the city, but it is certainly a a harder metric to determine in in a positive way. Albuquerque Mayor Tim Keller was also on Let's Talk New Mexico Thursday. Here, he's speaking with KUNM's Megan Camrick. Mr. Anderson, who we just had on the line, sent you a very long response to your deputy city attorney's letter outlining your concerns about Operation Legend this week. You've said you're still concerned about the scope of the operation. Why? Well, you know, we asked the U.S. attorney to give us some insurances in writing because we hadn't had them before. And we basically always get that kind of detail. So... I'm glad he replied and did provide a written guarantee that legend is not going to be what we saw in Portland. But the reality is, you know, usually we have a full memorandum of understanding that maps out the scope and the purpose of all of these operations. And so until we actually get that, and that has to be signed off on DC, which is very important because I think our concern isn't our local U.S. attorney as much as it is his boss and his boss's boss, who clearly are the decision makers and by their own admission and statements. And so until we get that agreement, we're really skeptical because we have had a history in our city. And I think one was mentioned with the ATF uh, back in 2016 yes. of federal operations targeting either immigrants or communities of color. And we've also just nationally, I mean, one day the White House says masks are bad and then they're good. And one day Corona doesn't exist and then it exists. And even in Portland, those troops were sent there to guard the courthouse. They were never supposed to leave, according to what they said two weeks before all the violence happened. I mean, there's just a litany of sort of two-faced comments. So that's why we will always be skeptical and vigilant and why we've got to have everything in writing. You mentioned the ATF operation here in 20. 2016. It promised to net the worst of the worst, but reporting by New Mexico in depth found most of those picked up were low-level offenders. They were disproportionately black compared to our population. How would you ensure that this operation happening now doesn't repeat those patterns of racist policing? You know, that program, it was racist. Also, they always claim that it's, you know, high-level gun violence and that kind of thing. And when you actually look at the arrests in that, it actually, there wasn't. So I think they were trying to just juice up their numbers so they could have a good story. And for us, so how are we doing it, trying to do it differently? I mean, number one is obviously we don't control the federal officers, but one is we don't allow our police department to engage in that type of activity. So after 2016, when our administration came in, we said that the department's not allowed to do that anymore. And for this round, what we're trying to do is a couple of things. Number one, we are setting up a, a special civil rights hotline to our civil rights office, and that's going to be set up for if you think that something is happening in your neighborhood that's associated with legend, we want to know all about it, and we will prosecute folks regardless if they are violating city ordinances. 
And so, for example, we are an immigrant-friendly city, and so if there are these kinds of undocumented roundup-type situations, we will enforce city ordinance on federal agents. We're just going to do what we can, uh, which is limited. And the last thing is, similar to what's happening in Portland now, if we think that our town is being essentially occupied by a federal force, we'll file suit under the 10th Amendment to try and put a stop to that. Shout out to our colleagues at KUNM for their great work and for sharing this with us today. Gene Grant with New Mexico PBS spoke with activists from Fight for Our Lives, a network of students and younger organizers about the presence of federal agents. Tatiana Sharif from Fight for Our Lives, Zoe Kraft from Fight for Our Lives, and Janelle Astorga Ramos from Learning Alliance of New Mexico. Thank you guys very much. I, I can't thank you enough for this conversation. Zoe, let me ask you this. We now have federal troops or federal agents or federal whatever you want to call them. Not quite sure what the proper term is. 35 of them coming to our city. What's your reaction to that? When I first heard that they were coming to Albuquerque, I immediately thought, well, why is this needed? Because it seems that in comparison to a lot of other cities, Albuquerque has been fairly fairly calm lately. Um, there's even in terms of actions and protests that have been happening, um, we've seen really only violence on the part of APD and our police departments and not whatsoever really on the part of protesters. Um, but another major issue that comes to mind for me is federal agents have already had a presence in Albuquerque under Operation Relentless Pursuit, which has been going on and has really already been targeting um, our black and brown communities primarily. And so hearing that more federal agents are going to be sent in um, really concerns me because um, of the amount that these communities have already been targeted and the targeting is going to continue. Tatiana, please feel free to pick up on that. The, the idea that 35 federal agents can somehow solve our crime problem. What, what, what are the dangers that you see of having the presence of these people here? Um, yeah, um, there's a lot of um, dangers, especially since um, I've heard that they're not going to be identifying themselves. Um, so that does put a lot of people at risk, especially um, protesters. And then um, given everything that's going on um, since we're having um, a lot of protests and people really want to put themselves out there and everything um, makes people not want to put themselves out there. So kind of questions, um, should I be protesting? Should I not be protesting and stuff? Is that what, what, what they came out here to do to stop it? And then also, um, I know a lot of um, APD officers aren't okay with it as well. Um, we are very understaffed um, with, when it comes to police officers too. And so um, I just feel like the timing uh, was very suspect, but maybe that's what they wanted. So there's just a lot of confusion when it comes to all of it. Um, I even heard that the, um, the mayor wasn't okay with it either. Um, so I just feel like they need to kind of clarify what they're here for, what their mission is and everything, um, and communicate that with um, the community because we, we have a right to know, in my opinion, so. Mm -hmm. Good point there. Janelle, you know, this past uh, special legislative session in June, we did see some police reform. As you know, Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham has signed into law the idea that all um, officers statewide wear body cameras. There's a lot of resistance out there, of course, to this. A lot of uh, heads of departments don't want to do this kind of thing. Your, your sense of body cameras and their importance in all of this, is this a good move? I think it goes back to that funding, right? Um, how do we have enough funding to get body cameras and all these other equipment for law enforcement, but yet we're still struggling to pass legislature on education and funding around that. 
Um, so that's what my biggest thing is. I think also if we're wanting to get body cameras, we've seen in the past, police can turn those off when they feel necessary. So um, yeah, I think, like I said before, it's just a matter of really building the system all over again, because there's many things that we feel are gonna be better or um, elected officials still are gonna be more positive for people and it gets worse. So really just talking with the community and seeing what we want or what we think is gonna make us feel more safe instead of just making changes that you think or elected officials think are gonna be better when they're really not. Mm -hmm. That's a good, that last bit there was, was kind of key, interesting. Many thanks to Gene Grant for that conversation and to New Mexico PBS for sharing it with us. This is No More Normal. I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. Listen live on Sundays at 11 a.m. on KUNM or download the show anywhere you get your podcasts. And it's on the Internet. Look us up on KUNM.org. So officials are telling us that what we saw in Portland is not what's coming to Albuquerque. We'll wait to see how things go as the election in November approaches and a fight against crime is on the president's agenda. For some insight about what's happening up in the Northwest, we reached out to investigative journalists there. My next guest is Bill Conroy. He's an independent investigative journalist whose work appears in Medium, The Daily Beast, and most recently, the Seattle Business Magazine, among others. Bill, thanks so much for being with me today. Glad to be here. You know, dealing and talking about the use of federal forces coming to American cities, particularly Democratic cities, those words are straight out of the president's mouth. Can you break down the history of the federal government's use of private security firms and private contractors? In this particular case, it is, it is absolutely clear that the lead agency for the Department of Homeland Security on these uh, deployments of uh, federal officers, troops, however you want to define them, it's called the Federal Protective Service, is 90% contractors, private contractors. They contract with dozens of these firms, uh, spend more than a billion a year. And uh, many of these contractors also have separate contracts with like ICE. So basically these contractors work on the border and now we find that FPS, which also works with the same contractors, also provides security guards and security personnel and intelligence you know, analysis and so forth to all federal properties. And that's their job is to guard federal properties. What's happening in Albuquerque is interesting. There's two operations, if you will. They're kind of different sides of the same coin. One's Operation Legend. And that's run by the Department of Justice. The other one is Diligent Valor, and that's the Department of Homeland Security operation. But it's highly unusual to have a deployment that's not coordinated or welcomed by the city and state leaders, which is what's going on in all these cities. Once these agents are there, what their mission is, is fairly opaque at this point, is really why would you need all these agents in a city like Albuquerque to essentially investigate street crime or for crowd control? What is their real purpose? And secondly, they're moving them off their primary missions to these secondary missions that don't seem directly related to federal law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And that puts the country at risk. So Trump is talking about deploying 50 to 75,000 of these whatever you want to call them, federal troops to the essentially democratic cities yes. where and that's the concern of the deployed you see like a test run for, for election day that these troops would be brought out or called out in mass on election day that's across the vote. I wish that was just like 
conspiracy theory, but we we have to be concerned when we have a president that's already talking about delaying the vote because of non-existent mail fraud. I spoke earlier with the chief of police, Mike Geyer, here in Albuquerque, and he stated to me that the only federal forces that were coming were agents that were involved, agents from the FBI, uh, the ATF, the DEA, and the U.S. Marshal's Office to help with violent crime, and they only spoke of Operation Legend. They didn't speak of this other operation. What information do you have about this other operation? Both can be true because these federal contractors would already be present at the buildings, right? Mm -hmm. That's what their job is. That's who guards these buildings already. So whether they surge in additional uh, FPS officers to supplement the buildings or not, that that you have to look at on the ground. But actually, the acting secretary, you know, Chad Wolf, DHS, says that even though DOJ is leading this effort, right, in Operation Legend, mm-hmm. you know, and this is a quote from investigators from the Department of Homeland Security, will also contribute. These are very opaque operations. He's referring to what they're doing in Kansas City. That was an Operation Legend, Operation 2, or 200 agents were sent there. So that'll be a mixture of FBI, DEA, and DHS has ICE. They have investigators in ICE that are just Border Patrol agents. So all these agencies are like an alphabet soup, but you can have any, yeah. any combination of agents there. You know, in your piece for Medium, you state that the U.S. Government Accountability Office in a report from 2009 to 2014 It says that the FBS security program uncovered these guards and agents with felony convictions and some have expired certifications. Mm -hmm. They're not sure about weapons training. You know, what else did you find from reviewing that report? This has been an ongoing problem with the Federal Protective Service. It's been moved several times. It's been moved from uh, the arm of the government that does contracting from the GSA to ICE. And now it's been moved to another unit within DHS, and there's legislation already passed, and they're examining it now to move them once again. They're like the hot potato nobody wants, right? Mm. They've got a horrible track record. Because of the way they're hired, you know, there's a little bit of training done by the feds, but most of it's done by these private contractors, and, and it costs them money to do this, so their profit margins go down. So there's no way they are trained, number one, as well as regular sworn federal law enforcers. Secondly, yeah, the vetting on the part of FPS has been horrible, and they found multiple problems with guards being hired that have domestic violence crimes, and then was if they committed those or felonies or make sure they have their certifications for weapons and all of those that they go in and do a pull a sample of the personnel and look at their backgrounds and check them out. And yeah, high percentages of these were found to be deficient. And legally, if one of these private contractors abuses someone's rights or breaks the law, i.e. coming after or violating the rights of a protester, so to speak, that's going on in the street now, is there any sort of legal consequence for them? Is there anything that can be done about that, or do they have some sort of immunity? I've been exploring that issue prior to this, prior to these troops being assembled. To the best I can tell, they essentially fall under state law. They don't have any special power. One of the things that came up was there was an active shooter in a building. What is the policy? Hmm. FPS says, well, these guards have a right to basically shoot to kill, right? Mm-hmm. But it's really vague as to under what authority are they doing that? And essentially, the best I can figure out so far is they don't have any more authority than you and me, right? Hmm. They, they, they aren't. Uh, federalized. However, the thing I'm trying to find out is did Barr, Attorney General Barr, somehow or does he have the power to unilaterally federalize these people? U.S. Marshals can sometimes deputize people in certain situations. Yes. I couldn't get that answer clarified. That's an open question. But generally speaking, no, they do not have law enforcement power. They're 
actually governed by state regulation, state certification. And with this, I'd love to have you on the show, particularly as we get closer to Election Day, to continue to talk about these issues and other growing ones. Yeah, and all I'd say is, you know, you know, get to know your neighbor and go out to vote together. There's, there's power and solidarity. That's the best tool we have right now is large numbers. Because, you know, even if you have a troop of 40 well-armed mercenaries at your door, they're no match for a million or two million people at the polls. That's right. That's right. That is exactly right. We need to take that advice. He's Bill Conroy, independent investigative journalist. Thanks again. Thank you. Take care. My next guest is an independent journalist based in Portland. They have worked with the Washington Post, the Portland Mercury, and NPR. I'd like to welcome Tuck Woodstock. Tuck, thanks for being with me. Thank you so much for having me. A note to everybody that we are talking on Wednesday, July 30th. Federal agents that have been in Portland over the past month are leaving. Can you give us more details on that arrangement? Yeah, so it is a stage withdrawal, and so it's not that starting tomorrow all of the troops will suddenly vanish, but starting Thursday, some of the troops specifically from ICE and Customs and Border Patrol will start withdrawing from being out there every night. The Federal Protective Service will still be there, and the federal troops that are leaving will be replaced by state troopers. And so it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out, because there are definitely folks who are on the ground protesting because they are specifically disturbed by federal agents being there. But there are a lot of protesters that are protesting against the police. This started as a Black Lives Matter protest. And so I don't think that switching out federal agents for state troopers will make that much of a difference to a lot of people. You have and others have reported that the fervor and the energy of the protests were beginning to wane until the fences and the federal officers arrived. Tell me, how many people were at the protest before you know the presence of these federal forces as compared to like currently? For the first month, there were no federal forces and there were a few hundred, maybe 500 coming down every single night to protest outside the Justice Center, which is the name for the Portland Police Headquarters. And then when the feds started coming out, for the first couple of weeks, nothing really changed because there was no local or national attention on these federal agents. And so the group continued to come out and continued to dwindle till it got down to maybe 100 people or 200 people every night. And I think that's just because it's hard to make a commitment to show up somewhere from 9 p.m. to 2 a.m. every single night for two months. Right. So it's just a natural attrition. And then once that OPB story broke that there were these federal agents who were in Portland and were snatching protesters into unmarked vans, the numbers went from one or two hundred people a night to two thousand or three thousand or more a night. And now we're already seeing that go back down to several hundred as opposed to multiple thousand. But it's still way above where it was before that story broke about the federal agents being here. You've been out on the streets during the protests seeing what's happened. So you can you generally describe for me what you have seen, you know, before and also with these altercations with police and federal agents. For the first few weeks, there were like I said, several thousand folks gathering at this fence to protest against what at that time was Portland Police Department. And those protests mainly consisted of people gathering at this building, chanting, holding signs, maybe rattling the fence, sometimes throwing plastic water bottles at the officers that were stationed on the other side of the fence. And then when that died down, the people that were showing up every day, say in early July, it had almost become more of a community event nightly than a protest. 
case, there was some protesting, but there was not a lot of chanting. There was not a lot of signs. There was a lot of sitting in the park across the street from the buildings, eating snacks and like making a bonfire and listening to music and dancing. And it became this really bizarre thing where these protesters would just gather and wait for some sort of officer to come and bull rush them out of the park. And that's what we did for weeks. You know, I was there as a journalist watching, but I also got bull rushed out of the park and I also ate snacks. So, you know, I guess I was part of them. And then just in the last two weeks, it has really gone back up from mostly just hanging around chatting to... I mean, I, I can't call it a war zone. I've never been to war, but definitely a conflict zone where on the front lines, there are constant waves of tear gas coming over the protesters. There are um, crowd control munitions being used, which should be clear, have been used throughout the entire two month period. But there are more crowd control munitions being used. There is more tear gas than ever before. And there isn't as much, in my perception, of like those breaks in between the conflict. It's more just constant conflict on the front lines. Mm. Can you tell us what the conditions are like currently on the ground? It's still several hundred people strong. If you go up to the front lines, which is this fence, you will see protesters with shields, with umbrellas, with leaf blowers. And these are all tactics trying to protect themselves from crowd control munitions and from these constant waves of tear gas. The leaf blowers are used to blow back the tear gas towards the federal agents. What's interesting is the federal agents saw that tactic, adopted it, and now the feds have their own leaf blowers. And it is a battle of leaf blowers to see who is going to get tear gassed. It's completely bizarre. Have you seen a growing output of mutual aid and other people, you know, coming to each other's help? Absolutely. It's been really, really incredible community support from people, you know, in all walks of life throughout the city. So we've seen the young, disproportionately queer and trans and black and brown protesters who have been out there since day one. But now we're seeing these things like the mom block, which are a bunch of like more white middle-aged moms and also dads in the dad block showing up to try to support these younger protesters who in many cases are their literal children and so they've been out there trying to show up for each other but even beyond that there was riot ribs which for a month or so was feeding folks in the park 24 7 donations only anyone who showed up protesters homeless folks anyone that was incredible they received three hundred thousand dollars in donations and like more than a thousand coolers it was just really this outpouring of support. All of the organizations on the ground that are providing like medical supplies and equipment or protective gear, anything like that, those organizations are so overwhelmed with donations that they've been telling people like, we're good, we're good, <laughs> like hold off for a second. And so, yeah, everyone is trying their best to find ways to show up for each other to the point that we no longer are seeing like as many needs that haven't been met. Like all of those needs are being met by the community. Okay. Tuck Woodstock, independent investigative journalist based in Portland. Thanks again for talking with me. Thank you so much. It was great. In next week's show, we look into the continuing struggle for equality and talk with the people who are working to see it solved once and for all. That's next week on No More Normal. That's about all the time we have for our show this week. We want to thank Jazz Tone, the producer, Cheo, Dom Life, and Olaud Records for providing music to our show. Khaki, Pope Yes Yes Y'all, and Bigawatt composed some of the show's themes. Thank you to our colleagues at New Mexico PBS and KUNM for sharing interviews with us. Kevin McDonald, Ty Bannerman, Kaveh Movahead, and Bryce Dix jumped in on the editing. And you know what? I'm buying you all some ice cream as a sign of thanks. And it's hot out there. Thank you, as always, to all of our guests for sharing their stories, lives, and perspectives. No More Normal is executive produced by Marisa DeMarco, hosted and produced by yours truly. I'm Khalil Lake Colonna, and for everyone here at No More Normal, 
Thanks for listening.